0: Hey, everybody. Chuck here real quick with some bad news and sad news. Uh, Sketchfest this year in San Francisco, uh, which is where we were going to have our first live show in two years here in a couple of weeks, has been postponed. Uh, I believe they're looking to postpone it by a whole year and kind of rebook the whole festival, ideally. Uh, but, you know, with what's going on around the country with Omicron, they didn't feel like they could press forward. And uh, as bummed as we are, we think it's the right move as well. So, uh, if you have tickets, just stay tuned for an announcement. I think you will either probably be able to... Uh, well, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen with them. Uh, maybe a refund. Maybe if you hold on to them, they're good for next year. Because uh, we're probably going to book in the same theater. But, uh, list it up for announcements soon. And again, all apologies. We're super sad about it. We we're really looking forward to getting back out there again. But uh, until further notice... Live shows are still on hold. All right. Now, here we go with the show. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and this is Stuff You Should Know, part two about ants, which is just knocking our socks off. We 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 released this one on the first one on Tuesday, Chuck. My socks are still off, and it's Thursday.
0: <laughs> That's right. And you know, if you listen to part one, we tried to throw in some amazing ant facts, and I think mm-hmm. we, I think we came through there. Mm-hmm. But most of that was a little bit of the nuts and bolts. I think part two has got a little bit more wow factor because we talk a lot about a lot more, even about the social structure. Of these amazing insects,
1: yeah. So ants are great, great example of a social, spe- a social insect like bees. Um Some wasps, but I think there's plenty of solitary wasps too. But let's (laughs) say like bees, they really kind of resemble bees in that sense. Yeah, totally. Um, And despite, you know, how many ants there are and how many bees there are, um, apparently social insects um, only make up something like 2% of all insect species. The rest are um, solitary or antisocial or drifters, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, at the heart of any uh, social insect society is the queen and usually chuck the 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 whole thing is so hierarchical there's just like one queen. Yeah, this is uh, this is
0: the one part that tripped me up a little bit as far as their mm-hmm. uh, as as far as that being an, a, a benefit for their survival.
1: Mm. I
0: would think like hey, more queens, more eggs. Like there should be you know, not all queens because obviously I get that queens need a lot of special care um I mean, I guess let's talk about it because queens get get fed. One reason uh, that makes them the queen is that they're the only sexually reproductive female and that's the only thing she does is mate and lay tons and tons of eggs. Uh, An army ant queen can lay up to 300,000 eggs in a a few days. Wow. Uh, And they're they're bigger. Like they're just, they basically sit around, they mate, they lay eggs, and they get fed a really protein-rich diet. So they grow... Up to like you know three, four times the size of all the other ants,
1: yeah, and so with the queen um they're they're like you said the one of the big differences or the difference um, is that they're they're bigger than uh, other um female ants, which are worker ants, genetically they're basically the same, it's just that they're much, much bigger, which means um somehow, I think also from that protein-rich diet, they're also, um, they have ovaries that function as well. So, they're able to reproduce. But that's basically the only two differences. And that just goes to show you that any um, worker egg can be raised into a queen.
0: Right. And we'll see, you know, cases where that might happen. Um, Another difference is they live a lot longer. Mm -hmm. Uh, The queen ant's of uh, the black garden ant can live up to 30 years apparently.
1: That's amazing. Uh,
0: female workers live about a year. And I guess we can talk a little bit about the males, the poor male ant. <laughs> uh, they only live a week. They are hatched from, unfer- they don't even bother to fertilize eggs for the males. They hatch from unfertilized eggs. Mm-hmm. Whereas all females hatch from fertilized eggs. And the males, you know, they they do their thing. They're there to, to impregnate the queen and then they die. They're sex,
1: sex slaves is what they are. Yeah.
0: And, and Dave points out, you know, Dave Ruse helped us with this. He said, basically, almost any ant that you see is, is probably a female ant.
1: Yeah. Not just because um, the workers are responsible for doing everything, but like you said, the lifespan of a male ant is so short, the chances of you seeing one are pretty slim. Although, as we'll see, there are some, some times where they're on such full spectacular display that you actually may have seen male ants before.
0: Sure. Yeah, we'll get to that weirdness in a minute. But the females are the workers. That you know, it's like uh, where was Wonder Woman from?
1: Uh, Amazonia.
0: Amazonia. I don't that, that's know. It's kind of like the society there. It's just it's all these ladies making things happen as a big group, all in service to this queen. Mm-hmm. And the workers do everything. They feed and care for the young. They feed and care for the queen. They go out and get the food. They maintain that nest in the colony, which we'll talk about. It's just remarkable what they do. Uh, they're the police force. They're the army. They're the custodians. They do everything.
1: Yeah. So, like, it, everything that has nothing to do with um, mating and laying eggs, that's 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 the yeah. workers doing all that stuff. Yep. It, it's pretty cool. And depending on the species, sometimes the workers are um, more specialized than in other species. Yeah. Sometimes there'll be like major workers who are much larger um, than the minor workers, so they'll be the ones that go out and like forage and maybe defend the nest, while the minor workers, the smaller ones, are left behind to tend to the the larvae and the pupae and um, and basically raise the next generation. So there's there can be like specialization of what you do as an ant depending on your size or how you were raised.
0: That's right, and so uh, it's a very strict cast system basically um there's no like working your way up the ladder it seems like you kind of have your job Mm -hmm. you're happy to do it um ants are very happy emotional little insects right
1: (laughs) yeah they really wear their hearts on their sleeves you can tell if an ant is having a bad day Uh but the good thing about it is you can cheer them up pretty pretty easily too (laughs) just hold your finger out let them climb up on your finger they find it so delightful and if you have a little honeydew in your pocket you can really okay. turn their day around. Uh now
0: you know we we mentioned the males just uh basically impregnate the queen then die. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really quite get this part about the uh genetics of the mm-hmm. the chromosomal genetics.
1: So basically a male is just an egg that has a genome from its his mother from the uh, queen. Okay. Usually the queen. Um A female is created—so, like, that would mean that all unfertilized eggs are males. Mm -hmm. And then the queen comes along and fertilizes some select ones. And I think it's actually dependent on what the workers point out. I think the workers actually decide how many— new female workers are needed compared to how many males are are needed. And then the queen comes along and fertilizes some proportion of those unfertilized male eggs, and then those become workers, female workers. Okay. And then in some cases, when there's not a queen, say a queen died or something like that, Mm -hmm. a colony would find itself up the creek. But apparently, there's plenty of ant species where the workers can actually lay unfertilized male eggs to raise a generation of males that can mate with a queen that the um, that the uh, the workers produce as well. So the workers can keep a, a colony from dying off if the queen dies. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, after I saw that some of these queens can live 30 years, I just became paranoid about, like, accidentally killing a queen. But mm-hmm. I, th- I think that probably doesn't happen because they're never out there to be stepped on, right?
1: No, it's it's you pretty much want, have to invade a nest. Like you're an exterminator if you're killing the queen. Okay. <laughs> oh man. I know, uh, but that's what they do. I mean, that's what they're trying to go after. If right. The queen. So. Sure. Yeah, we we have um, a mole problem mm. in my yard, and I'm just like, well, I guess we have a mole problem because I'm certainly not going to let somebody come along and drop M80s into these mole yeah. holes and blow them up. Yeah. But luckily, I found a service that uses something called mole scram. And it's just kind of like an irritant, but it doesn't actually hurt them in any way. They just don't want to be around it. So, oh. I'm going to give that one a try because they will mess up your lawn really quickly.
0: I thought you were going to say a
1: guy comes by with a
0: flute.
1: <laughs> I wish. <laughs> just leads them down to your neighbor's house. I just did our um, pipe Piper episode as a select, so I, I heard it recently. And it's really good, but the first oh, yeah? 20 minutes is really odd. It's like oddly... Like we're like challenging one another and it's just really, really weird. And then about yeah, what? I, I don't know. We're just like showing off to one another. You will just have to listen to it. It's it's pretty interesting. But it it really it really um comes out on top. It's a good episode.
0: Interesting. That's not the stuff you should know, way. Eh?
1: I know, that's what I'm saying. It's it's weird. It's a weird start to an episode. But you it usually it,
0: shrink in the face of competition.
1: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> We don't challenge each other. You're very
0: strange. Uh, All right. I guess we need to get to the nests here. Um, This is kind of some of the most remarkable stuff that you're ever going to see. I saw this one. Do yourself a favor, go to YouTube, and uh, I can't remember what the search term was, but like amazing uh, ant colony or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like a three minute video where they found, uh, they wanted to research what these things look like below ground. And so they pumped. Um, concrete Mm. into the hole Mm -hmm. I don't know where this was it took 10 tons of concrete no to fill this thing and then they let it sit for a month and then they uh, you know excavated or whatever like you would a a fossil Mm -hmm. and dig around it Mm -hmm. and they dug out what ended up being it looked like about the size of a little league baseball infield wow Uh, 26 feet deep 175 feet across And it it was one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen. It looked like literally like an architect had designed it. Um, They were talking about the efficiencies of, you know, every tube was like, it was the shortest route to get to the next thing. It was like, it looked like it had been purposefully designed that way. And it's just the... The DNA of these ants that know how to do this stuff
1: so yeah you you uh, mentioned something important that the the tunnels and the connections they make between all these chambers they do tend to be like the shortest route between them, and ants also uh, apparently will will um, burrow on these really kind of steep angles, but they're at the angle of repose, which is mm-hmm. the steepest angle that something like a pile of dirt or a pile of sand can maintain without collapsing. And somehow yeah. ants just know, like, oh, this is the angle I need to be to be um, digging at.
0: Yeah, I saw that one thing you sent, uh, and I guess we can talk about the force chains here. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting. But um, when they were studying these ants, they thought maybe, like, maybe they're doing, like, a game of Jenga, when they're making these tunnels where they they feel a little bit and kind of touch the block, which in this case are little individual grains of sand or dirt or whatever, mm-hmm. to see if it would weaken the structure. And I think after the end of this experiment, they were like, no, they're not. They're yeah. not doing that. They are just coded to do this.
1: Yeah, and they were like, we have no idea how ants know what little grains of sand or dirt to pull out and what ones they shouldn't because they're load-bearing Grains, but they just do, and they're really successful at it. And what they what they somehow are aware of is that there are things called what you said force chains, where if you follow like a, a force chain of of soil or dirt underground, like in a cross section of of ground, mm-hmm. um, those are the things that are holding the soil in place. And not all of the pieces or grains of dirt or sand are responsible for holding the soil in place. So you could conceivably move one and leave another in place, and that, right. that column of sand or dirt above is going to stay intact. Somehow, ants know what grains are load bearing and what grains aren't. And so when they're doing this, they're actually removing um, the sands that, that aren't part of the force chain. And when they do chuck, it actually reinforces the structure of the force chain. That it diverts it to the outside of the tunnel they're digging, which just yeah. makes it that much stronger.
0: And they're and again, they're not just kind of testing it like a game of Jenga. Like mm-hmm. that would make sense, and I see mm-hmm. why they thought that might be what's happening. Right. It's like they push a little bit to see if anything starts to give. It's again, it's just like 130 million years of practice.
1: Yeah, and because they're so good at at um, creating these burrows and tunnels and chambers, that that not only. Um, maintain but also actually reinforce the force chains underground um like, like an ant colony a subterranean ant colony might hold up for decades yeah. once they dig it out
0: i felt terrible when i saw this thing being pumped full of concrete i didn't know I know if it was vacant or you know there was some a pretty decent pile of dirt on top but um i know you made the point with that stuff you sent over that it's sort of like the tip of the iceberg if mm-hmm. you see a a little anthill in your neighborhood here in the United States that's, you know, 12 inches across and, like, 6 or 8 inches high. There's a lot more going on under the surface.
1: Yeah. I mean, tens of feet underground. Like you said, the size of a a Little League field laid out on its side or tipped up on its end and and buried underground. That's enormous.
0: Yeah. I mean, this thing was huge. It was really, really something.
1: Okay, Chuck, we're starting to get a little worked up. I think we need to mellow out again. (laughs) Uh, You want to take a break? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, we'll be right back, everybody.
0: So we wowed you with a little bit on these ant colonies in the nest and what's going on underground. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning of episode one these army ants who don't root down in a specific place. They're one of the only uh, nomadic species. And they go miles and miles, uh, which is a long, long way for a little tiny ant, Mm -hmm. uh, up to a million at a time. And to go to these places, they need to eat a lot of food. And they basically
1: make what are – Temporary encampments out of themselves. I know, <laughs> kind of like fire ants make a raft out of themselves. These guys make a bivouac out of themselves. Yeah,
0: they make a big. I mean, look this up uh, again with these pictures. It's a. It looks like a big ant ball, hmm. but I guess it's hollow on the inside,
1: right? Yeah, and then underneath you've got a bunch of different kinds of worker ants. Um, f- raising and directing where to be, where to fertilize and feeding and, and creating a new generation of worker ants and then after that generation is raised to adults they break down their bivouac and decamp and just keep moving
0: unbelievable truly remarkable really uh, they also can form super colonies I know that there's a um, one kind of ant it's an Argentinian ant that they don't do this in Argentina but in Europe, They, uh, there is one super colony that goes up the coast, uh, from Italy to Spain for 3,700 miles Mm -hmm. that is all technically one, you know, it's like one big, it's like the pando of ants. Right. They just get together with their friends and they're like, Hey, I know these people are like behind me by 10 feet. You want to meet them? And then that linked up for 3,700 miles.
1: For Yes. All from Italy to Spain to Northwest Spain, it's just astounding. And you said something really important. You said that they don't this Argentinian ant doesn't do that back in Argentina, and um, they looked into why. And apparently the reason why is because back in Argentina they are very genetically diverse, so that that neighbor ten feet away is basically an enemy because all of these ants are trying to preserve their queen's line as as best they can. So another nest is is just a totally different genetic line so it's a it's an enemy. But when they find land somewhere new like say Italy or Spain or whatever, that's a a much less genetically diverse group. So as it reproduces, they form nearby colonies that are pretty similar to the original colony or the last colony. And so you have these massive super colonies that are super cooperative because they are basically just extensions of the queen's genetic line. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And apparently <laughs> ants also get from places like Argentina to Italy and have spread throughout the world largely thanks to humans who use like soil and sand as ship's ballast. And oh. then when you, you get to the next place, you unload the ballast and it's there's all those ants you dug up from the last place you just set sail from. Wow. I don't know. that That's, that's how they've gotten around. That's how they think that the, uh, the um, red imported fire ant came here.
0: All right. So that's pretty good. Here's another remarkable thing about ants. Okay, uh, Ants don't fly, generally. Everyone knows that. Ants don't have wings. But if a colony is super successful and there are too many ants and they're outgrowing their own living conditions, they will just grow wings and fly up in the air, males mm-hmm. and females, mm-hmm. and have a big mid-air <laughs> sex so you, or tea.
1: <laughs> no. right? like that's That's what it is. Yeah, for sure.
0: They grow wings and they say, all right, we're going to have wings now, everyone. I know we don't normally, but we're getting too big. So we're all going to grow wings and let's go up and fly in the air and have sex.
1: So, so um, when, the, when the colony gets too big, there's some sort of signal that the workers pick up on. They're like, oh, things are getting a little crowded here. I'm not sure what it mm-hmm. is. Nobody's sure what it is at the moment, but there's some signal they pick up on. And so they start raising a generation of queens, of virgin queens called princesses. Mm-hmm. And those princesses um, fly off uh, on this—usually, it's not really actually a day, but in some places like the U.K., they celebrate it as Flying Ant Day. Kind of like how, you know, when um, uh, cicadas come up after like 17 years here in the States? I Mm -hmm. I get the impression it's kind of like that, although it happens every year. Um, And if it's humid out, uh, if it's hot out, and it rained the night before, there's a good chance you're going to see swarms of flying ants Having air sex, like you were saying, um but what those are are different virgin queens, and they 're going as far away from their their nest as possible because that increases the likelihood that they 're going to find um some of the generations of winged male drones that mm. were raised at, in other nests, and they 're going to have sex, and then they 're going to go off and found their own nests after that now that they've been now that they 've gotten some sperm
0: that 's right, and they can store the sperm. Uh, for quite a long time in some cases, the queen leafcutter ant can store uh, viable sperm for up to 20 years mm-hmm. and just eke it out a little, one little bit at a time. I'm not going to use the word Dave used. And just keep fertilizing generation after generation of eggs. Uh, and I don't think we said the the name of this air sex. They're actually, it's called nuptial
1: flights. Yeah, I remember in the firefly episode, they had like nuptial gifts. Yeah. I, w- I was like, we've talked about that somewhere. I looked it up. It was definitely fireflies.
0: It's pretty amazing. And then after that, you know, the males, as always, they die off. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully you got a bunch of new colonies.
1: Yeah. if So this is like the one time the queen is off – On her own for about two or three weeks. She's, like, busy founding an entirely new colony. Um, There's nobody there to feed her. Um, She's just laying a bunch of eggs, and she's choosing which are fertile, uh, which to fertilize, which not. She's probably fertilizing most of them because she needs a lot of workers right then and not very many male drones to have sex with. So, she's basically just laying and fertilizing worker eggs, hatches them herself, and then once she successfully has a generation or two of workers under her belt, now her colony's got a pretty good chance of becoming stable because the workers can start to take over. She can do what she does, which is lay hundreds to thousands or hundreds of thousands of eggs every day.
0: That's right. So if you ever see ants flying around, you know what's going on.
1: Yeah, and there's, there's they're not—don't confuse them with termites, apparently. They do bear some similarities, but if you look closely, you can you can tell the difference. Like, just the color alone is a dead giveaway.
0: Yeah, I think termites are usually kind of white, whitish.
1: Yeah. But, but that's if you have an infestation
0: be, in your house, it's it's probably termites.
1: Yeah, because the, the ants are flying around outside. They don't want to be inside right then. No. Not for their not. nuptial flight. That's right. So that must be like a pretty lonely and scary two or three weeks for that that new yeah, queen, you know? I would
0: say so. Uh, I, I didn't get a good sense of what the sort of survival rate for that was.
1: I didn't either. I'll bet it's all over the place because, again, there's like 10,000 to 14,000 species of ant, you know?
0: Yeah, but it seems like a big deal when it happens, when they finally reach that uh, their carrying capacity or whatever, and they're like, all right, we got to do this thing. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's a... It's a big deal to kind of split up that colony.
1: One thing I didn't see is if you could make a beard of um, winged ants like you could a swarm <laughs> of bees, because that would be really impressive.
0: Oh, that just makes me itchy yeah. <laughs> just thinking about it. So maybe we should talk a little bit uh, about the leaf cutter ant. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you see videos of the leaf cutter, you've, if you've seen any documentary on ants, they probably talked a lot about the leaf cutter because those are the ones that you know, literally cut the leaf with those mandibles and you see them, you know, it looks like they got a, looks like they got a, a carpet knife and how cleanly they cut through that Christmas paper.
1: It's really neat. Uh,
0: leaf. And then one bit of leaf at a time, they're marching that stuff out of there.
1: Yeah. And I mean, they, these leaves are enormous compared to the body weight. But again, remember ants are super strong and leaf cutter ants in particular can be very strong. They, we talked about how um, sometimes workers are divided up into, different specialties. Leaf cutters are one of those where they have majors. They're the biggest and the strongest of all of them. So they carry enormous leaves Mm -hmm. compared to their body. Um, And they actually are basically like cutting down paths like machetes um, to to clear a path for the smaller ones, the medier and then the minims.
0: That's right. The medier do carry a lot of the leaves. uh, But the little minims, those little guys are just the farmers. Mm -hmm. uh, And they tend to this fungus. And this is you know, it's pretty cool enough that they take these leaves, they cut them up and they transport them over these distances uh, considering how heavy they are. But the really remarkable thing about the leaf cutter is that they are, uh, just as the other ants um, kind of raise the cattle of these little uh, aphids, these are actual farmers of a fungus. And they have this symbiotic relationship with this fungus that they farm underground.
1: so cool. Yeah. So, when they cut these leaves, they're they're fertilizing the fungus with these leaves to to let them decompose and let the fungus basically eat the leaves. The adults actually um, drink the sap from the leaves because it's right. it's sweet, but, yeah, they, but don't they don't actually eat the, eat the They leave the leaves for the fungus, and the reason that they grow fungus and like. There's really no better word to describe what they do than farm. They farm Mm -hmm. this fungus. They tend to it. They um, heal it when it's sick. They know how to harvest it. They know how to get it to grow just right. Um, The reason that they they farm this fungus is because it produces a food that the ants harvest to feed their young, to raise their young on. So, symbiotic is right because they definitely— want this fungus to be as healthy as possible so the fungus really thrives in the presence of these ants and the fungus in turn provides the ants with food for their young but also in some cases chuck um antibiotics like antimicrobials that that the fungus produces the ants will coat them their bodies with and it will prevent them from being infected as well.
0: Yeah and not only that if they if they need to split off they don't, like, grow wings and fly up and have Arab nuptials or whatever. Mm-hmm. They just leave, but just like you would carry the, uh, a sourdough mother uh, to, your, to your new bakery, mm-hmm. they actually carry a big chunk of that fungus over f- to start their new crop in their new home.
1: That's so cool. It's amazing. It really is, especially if you imagine the fungus having a face and talking. Right. <laughs> and also being really grateful. For the help, I think of
0: the in the in the movie they did in the animated film they did.
1: I think of it as kind of like looking like. Have you ever seen that movie Basket Case? Have I seen what was that? It was I know a terrible, that. terrible B horror movie from like the late seventies. Yeah, where like the I guy carried that. his brother around in a basket. I don't think I saw that, but I think I remember
0: that at, when I worked at Vision Video in college.
1: Oh, it's so bad, it's really, really basket bad. Case. But the, it looks kind of like a little piece of fungus that you would carry to a new ant colony. <laughs> It's <laughs> just what kept flashing through my head. I wish I it would get up, out of my head, but it won't.
0: I need to look up that poster or that movie box because it's it's in my brain somewhere. I just can't call it up.
1: Okay. Let's it just wasn't... watch that movie together tonight. All right. Let's do it. Okay. I'll bring the truffle uh, truffle butter.
0: Oh, man. You're making me hungry.
1: You <laughs> First you wanted a Twinkie. Now you want some popcorn with truffle butter.
0: All right. What I really want to do is take a break and then... We will finish up all about ants, at mm-hmm. least for now, unless okay. we decide to come back to, to this well again. And we'll talk about how they communicate via these pheromones right after this.
1: Okay, Chuck, so I think we said at the top of the first episode that pheromones are basically it. They may be the thing that ants use to to, um, to to carry out just about all of their individual behavior, which collectively, if you put millions of ants together doing the same thing, knowing what they're supposed to do, much more complex behaviors emerge. But it seems to largely come down to these pheromones, which are kind of like scents um, that the ants pick up kind of like noses using their antenna instead.
0: It's kind of like a language almost too, mm-hmm. because they're communicating. I mean, we should also say that they also, uh, they can like drum on their abdomen uh, to raise an alarm. They can make different sounds uh, like crickets. Uh, they can they can rub different parts of their body. Uh, they can what, rub their legs against their uh, exoskeleton. It's called stridulation. Uh, they can vibrate their mandibles. So, they do sort of speak in some ways and hear in some ways. But it seems like, it seems almost secondary to what's going on with this, this pheromone thing.
1: Yeah, because there's just so many different pheromones. And they produce pheromones from a, a, a special scent gland. Um, and they. You, it, I don't know how they, they differentiate pheromones when they're producing them. But a different it seems like they have different pheromones for different things that they're trying to signal. Like there's an alarm signal. Um, they use pheromones to recruit some ants to go do something. Like if, if one's maybe tending to the nest and another one needs help tunneling, it will it will create some pheromone signal and recruit the other ant to come help it. Um, they mark territory with it. Um, they will uh, They will use it to discourage rivals. Like if somebody's trying to lay eggs or cannibalize eggs, they can use pheromones for that kind of stuff. Basically, almost all of their communication seems to be pheromones, and that communication is really varied and, and wide.
0: Yeah, so a great example Dave uses is if there's an intruder, if like a spider comes upon an ant nest, the ants that see the spider come in that are, I guess, you know, these soldier ants standing guard near the opening, mm-hmm. they will start to admit the alarm pheromone, I guess, along with uh, beating on their abdomens uh, for this alarm vibration and then it becomes sort of like a game of telephone the the next closest ants hear this stuff mm-hmm. some of them might depending on what their job is rush up to help if they're like soldier ants or you know or guard ants that'll help guard the nest others run back and they emit pheromones to tell everyone else and then they all start emitting pheromones and it's essentially like a volume knob going up Right uh, Until everyone knows what 's happening or until the emergency is over, or both
1: yeah, and the emergency is signaled as over because the pheromones start to trail off, and one of the things about pheromones that we understand is that they 're volatile organic compounds, yeah, which means they dissipate fairly quickly because again they 're volatile at room temperature in the air. Um, so as long as you don't have a bunch of ants all pumping out this warning pheromone at the same time, the volume's going to start to dissipate and turn down, and eventually the the um, emergency subsides. And so the ants respond to pheromones, so their response to the pheromone is going to subside as well, and everything will go back to normal because the emergency's over.
0: Right. So if you've ever, uh, and this happens to me, I don't have an ant problem here, but when we go to the lake sometimes... Mm-hmm. Uh, We have ant problems there because it's out in the middle of the woods, of course. Mm. Uh, But I will, you know, clean up really good, I think, at the end of the night. And if I leave a crumb of a Twinkie out there, (laughs) I'll come back the next morning just infested with these long lines of ants. And I'm always like, how do they know it's there? How do they tell everyone else it's there? And now I know it's pheromones. It's the same thing as if the spider invades some ant sees this Twinkie crumb, mm-hmm. and emits this pheromone. It's like, hey, everybody, there's some Twinkie over here. Uh, you know, come eat. And it eats a little bit and emits a pheromone. And the, what's kind of remarkable is the pheromones, um, it's not just a pheromone. Like, they, differ, they can differ what the pheromone is and the intensity of it mm-hmm. to tell everyone like what kind of food it is or how much food there is and how many of you should come and try to eat this crumb.
1: Yeah, there's no way that the ants at your lake house haven't developed a special pheromone for Twinkies if you're leaving them out that much. No. So, the, the, (laughs) and, but just like with the emergency, like the, the, um, those other descriptions, not just foods here, but this kind of food or this much food, that can be, um, that can be described by like variations in the intensity. So, if there's a lot of food, You know, the ant's really going to exclaim that there's a bunch of food with pheromones. It's going to attract more ants, and they're going to exclaim. And just like with that emergency alarm, the volume's going to be turned up. And then because it's a volatile organic compound, as the food depletes, the ants that are coming along and grabbing the food are going to leave a, a more and more muted exclamation. Yeah. So that that trail's going to eventually dissipate, and no ant's going to follow it anymore because there's no food there anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean it literally takes the place of the ant yelling back, hey, there's a lot of food. And then the last ant saying, Hey, we pretty much ate everything. It's party's over. Yeah. Like they can't do that, so they use the pheromones.
1: Right. And they think that pheromones, again, it's really tough to to overstate the importance of them for, for every kind of ant behavior. And there's a there's a um I'm not quite sure what what field it belongs to, but there's a, a concept called stigmergy which Mm -hmm. basically says that um, it it describes a behavior or a trait or an action that's carried out based on some sort of signal that's left there. And so ants really respond to things like – if a litter mate or a nest mate is doing something, another ant is much more likely to do that same thing. And they think it's because the, a signal is left every time an ant does something, it leaves a signal. Whether It's mm-hmm. not doing it on purpose. It's not thinking about this. It's just part of this set of codes that ants follow, which if you run into this, if if you are on a ball and there's water, and you run into the the edge of that ball, you form raft. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just this kind of binary set of very simple codes (laughs) that ants seem to follow. And what code or what set of codes is triggered um, depends on what pheromone the ant is either laying down for the next ant or uh, is picking up from the last ant. Yeah.
0: I love lamp. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, They also can communicate via touch. If you've ever... uh, gone to your kitchen counter like i have and you've seen ants walking in a trail you've probably seen a little two-way street happening Mm -hmm. where a bunch of ants are going in one direction and a bunch of ants right next to them are going in the other direction and if you look really really close if you have like a magnifying glass maybe Mm -hmm. you might not with the sunshine (laughs) oh no 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 don't ever do that uh yeah just get down there with your eyeballs then okay um they they might be touching each other that might be their antenna might be touching they may be stroking each other's exoskeleton and they scientists basically think that these are also um communicative signals to one another again saying hey there's some great twinkie over there sometimes someone might even have a little bit of a twinkie he'll give to someone midway through the line mm-hmm. and say hey hey buddy this is what's waiting down there mm-hmm. pass it down and that game of telephone happens again
1: yeah, mouth-to-mouth food transfer, which is nice. But I guess <laughs> it's better than kind. mouth-to-anus food transfer like you were talking about earlier. Well, it depends on what you're into. I saw another explanation for why ants do that. Because if you look closely, pretty much every ant does that to every ant that they come across going in the opposite direction. And High one, five. One theory, right? No. <laughs> one theory is that they're— Uh, examining the ant to make sure it's one of their nest mates and not an intruder from another nest who's joining in the fun, which makes a lot of sense as well.
0: Every time I see ants doing that, I just go in my head, good game, good game, nice (laughs) game, good game. Good game,
1: yeah, right. (laughs) That's one of my favorite parts of uh, Mm
0: -hmm. Dazed and Confused. confused. It's just like the nostalgia there. Like any kid who's ever played Little League knows that Mm -hmm. completely forced, unenthusiastic, good game line (laughs) Mm -hmm. that you got to walk down. Yep, I remember that line. Uh, what else do we have here?
1: Oh boy, Chuck! We have a little so more much. nesting. We should we should um, branch off into a, another standalone podcast called Ant Rant.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk a little bit more about nesting. I think that's kind of all we've got. Um, if you look at how they build their nest, you know a lot of researchers have been looking at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of which, this made me want to buy an ant farm for my daughter for Christmas, but. When I looked into them, I read reviews where it seems like about a third of the reviews said the ants just sat around and waited to die in front of my daughter
1: or my son,
0: and it was traumatic.
1: I don't really agree with keeping anything enclosed.
0: I I know. I just – the whole thing felt wrong, and so I didn't get it.
1: Good for you, Jack.
0: (laughs) I mean, it it was a little selfish in that I didn't want a a bad experience to happen. Mm -hmm. But then I thought, you know, you're also getting ants shipped through the mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know they're shipped at a certain temperature, so they stay alive. And you know, I also saw success stories where, like, oh man, they did great and they lived their whole lifespan. But it just wasn't worth it, uh, yeah. the risk. I'm for with me. You. you. So, you anyway. know, what you should
1: do is order some of those ants through the mail and just release them into your yard. Right. <laughs> or just food.
0: release them onto my daughter while she's asleep. There you see go. how that goes,
1: <laughs> and then mobile and see what happens.
0: Uh, But researchers obviously have been studying ant nests and colonies for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, all those tunnels that look like little sponges. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mentioned the one on YouTube where they actually filled it with concrete, which is pretty amazing. But they decided to take this stuff and put it into like a computer model to see what what happened uh, when it came out the other side. And one of the things they learned was they had these very basic rules uh, that kind of governed everything they did. uh, One of which was, Uh, Each ant would pick up, uh, at a very, very steady rate, two grains of dirt or sand per minute Yeah, and carry it.
1: Which, that seems like a clue right there. If they're following some sort of time scale, Mm -hmm. especially if it corresponds to our understanding of time, that seems significant, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess they would do that
0: because that's the most efficient rate of work, like the most efficient speed of work. I guess. Like without getting overly tired or not getting enough done, you know what I mean?
1: I think that's another example though that we like we watch ants do things and we don't understand yeah. exactly why, we just know it works really well.
0: Yeah. Uh what else did they
1: see? Um they also saw that um there was a preference for dropping that grain that they were tunneling out excavating by mm. another um more uh, another recently dropped piece of grain, which I think right. is a, uh, an example of that stigmergy, where they, they, there was like some, yeah, they just saw, like, they're just, their behavior is triggered by, by somebody else's behavior.
0: Right. Uh, and then the last thing they saw, they saw these three basic rules was uh, they would drop them closer to the grains that were already dropped by another ant. Mm-hmm. And they think that is like a pheromone marker, like, hey, I dropped this grain here. Like, this is where we're building this thing.
1: Right. And so they, they created this, they, they followed these ants movements. Like they really studied and tracked real ants. And then they created a computer model that simulated ants just following these three rules. And apparently the model created a, something that looked a heck of a lot like an ant nest that you would see in, in nature. So much so that there were connections that were developed between chambers. And these researchers were like, we didn't tell it to create connections. That just happened on its own. It's a great example of that emergent behavior um, that that comes from the collective actions of a bunch of individuals Is doing their own thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, and they had these, you know, if you look at this concrete when they excavated, it was, they had these big chambers, they have these tubes and then these big rooms, basically, and each of these rooms has a function. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not just like, oh, let's just make a little space here. You know, they take care of their dead a lot of times. And, uh, you know, I don't think they quite bury them, but they, they tend to their dead. Uh, it's it's remarkable.
1: Yeah, they have ant cemeteries that they dump bodies on. It's pretty cool. Very cool. So there was one last thing I saw. Um There's a type of ant that basically engages in nursing, where if you these ants raid termite mounds, and the termites sometimes will take a leg or two, and if you're just missing a leg or two, you will be carried back by basically paramedic ants to the nest and then nursed back to health with an antibiotic that the ants produce themselves. Wow. Ant rant, Chuck. Ant rant. Uh, You got anything else? I got nothing else.
0: We thank Joey Joey from Tucson. Thanks, Joey. Great idea. Great idea for Ants. We had no idea it was going to be a two-parter in this remarkable.
1: Remarkable indeed. And if you want to be like Joey and get in touch with us to let us know a topic you'd like to suggest, who knows it might even become an incredible two-parter, you can reach out to us via email at stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com.